at an early morning meeting on Monday, and I arrived 15 minutes early because I just like to get places early, and I, I did something I hadn't done in years. I was hungry, so I bought a cookie, one of those big fill-your-plate, clog-your-arteries-so-you-die-at-45 kind of cookies. You know what I'm talking about? I took the cookie back to my table, and that's where my adventure began because there was a four-year-old boy in the coffee shop, and it didn't take him long to spot my cookie. He came and stood by the empty chair on the opposite side of the table. He kind of draped his arms over the back of the chair, and he stared at me and my cookie. And then he started walking his fingers across the table towards the plate. So I pulled the plate a little closer to me. And while maintaining eye contact with my nemesis, I broke off a portion of the cookie and I ate it right in front of him. He looked sad. I didn't care. It was my cookie. So he stared at me a little while longer and then he finally spoke and he said, didn't your mom teach you how to share? I wanted to say, no, she didn't. But after I got clearance from mom, the rest of my cookie walked out of that coffee shop with that kid. And I didn't feel like being generous. I was hungry. I'd paid for it. I had deep ownership of my cookie. But my joy came in releasing it, not hoarding it for myself. We're going to move in a different direction under the same series title for the next couple of weeks. We've been talking about the high cost of living in a recovery sense, but now we're going to talk about the actual high cost of living. If you turn on the radio, the TV, you open up a newspaper, you're going to encounter some words that you may not have encountered in your lifetime. Economic downturn, recession, layoffs, foreclosures, crisis. And in response to these words, people are worried. They're scared. Just listen in a restaurant and you can hear people asking questions that they were not asking two years ago. Questions like, will I lose my job? Will I lose my house? When am I going to be able to retire? Will the market ever recover? Those are real questions and real concerns. And the scenarios that I see people encountering today remind me of a portion of Scripture in which people were facing exactly the same fears. This weekend, we're going to meet a prophet by the name of Elijah. He lived in a land where there was an economic downturn. There was an economic downturn because there was no rain, and in his day and time, no rain meant no food. Elijah had a bit of a run-in with one of the kings of the area, and God, in order to save his life, sent him to go hang out by a stream somewhere. God provided for Elijah there in a miraculous way. Every morning and evening, ravens would bring bread and meat to feed God's prophet. Here's the deal. Ravens don't share. They're scavengers. They don't drop off a meal because they're feeling generous. They don't just decide to bring a happy meal to somebody randomly in the middle of nowhere. So when scavenging birds start delivering food, you can pretty well assume that God's up to something. And here's what happens in 1 Kings 17. The Bible says sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Can you hear the pain in her voice? Can you hear the resignation? She's already beyond hopelessness. She's already in despair. I mean, she is done. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see some of the parallels that we find in this particular time. The tragedy and the truth of this story is that it's played out every single day in Whatcom County. If you don't believe that or see that, you're not looking. Let me just lay out some of the parallels. The first one is that this is an unprecedented time of fear and panic. People back then were scared and afraid. There was a crisis going on. Food was scarce and people were scrambling today. In some people's real lives right here, food is scarce. They're scrambling. They're scared. Another parallel is this family has a real need. This is not some made-up scenario. This mom thinks her and her boy, this is going to be their last meal, and then they're done. If you look around this county right now, people are encountering a different level of hardship than we've ever experienced before. Last peril is that this single mom has moved beyond fear to resignation. I mean, I see this everywhere I go. When hope disappears and fear has had its way, people move to resignation. And instead of moving towards God, they get frozen and they get resigned to their plight. I meet a lot of resigned people these days and this single mom is no exception. She's out gathering sticks because she can't afford to purchase real firewood. She has just enough food to get through the day. Tomorrow, who knows what's going to happen? And in the middle of it, some religious guy shows up in her life and has the audacity to ask her to share. I mean, what is he thinking? She has nothing to share, share or so she thinks. The man's request is actually an opportunity for her. It's an opportunity for her to give in a real way to God and to see God provide. She's got an opportunity and through her opportunity, we're going to learn a biblical principle this morning. And the biblical principle is this. When God's people obey, God supplies. When God's people obey, God supplies. Giving to God puts God first and it trusts Him to supply for our daily needs. Real giving puts our trust in God, not in ourselves, not in our 401k, not in our bank accounts, not in our house. It says, I trust God. Here's what happens in 1 Kings 17, verse 13. The Bible says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. There are so many promises in this, in this particular passage. It's almost scary. But I think there's some things we've got to say up front. Because if you don't say these real life things up front, this story becomes very, very trivial. Here's the first one. Trusting God to supply is scary. It's scary. I mean, we've got this innate need to control everything. And I've met people who say they're trusting God and it just seems like a bit of a spiritual cop-out. I mean, I've met people who are doing nothing and they call it trusting God. They're just hanging out 
waiting for something, and they call that trusting God. Trusting God is not doing nothing. In fact, it's doing the most important thing that you can. Trusting God is not immobile. In fact, it's very, very active. Do you notice what the lady's doing? She's actually out working. She's gathering sticks. She's looking for water. She's doing her part. And trust in God came through her actions. So I'm going to tell you something today. If you arrived at church this morning and you're doing nothing and you're calling it trusting God, you're just doing nothing. You're doing the wrong thing. Because trusting God is living and active. We still need to keep moving. Secondly, trusting God to supply is counterintuitive. I mean, when things are tough, what do we do? We just start grabbing everything we can and hold it as close as we possibly can. When there's a shortage of something, what's our natural response? It's to hold it even tighter. We don't want to release it because we're scared. And what does God ask her to do? God asks her to take the little that she had and to share the first portion with somebody who had a real need. God is saying this to his family this morning. In the midst of all of this stuff that's going around, God's family never gets to do this. We are called by God Almighty to do this. That's what he's calling us to do. I tell you what, everything about this scenario is upside down. And this widow has a choice to make. She can trust what she sees and knows and hoard it for herself and die or... She can trust what she can't see, but knows. Share it and actually live. What an amazing choice. And we face it every single day. And I believe that during this time, God has called us to pay the high cost of dependence in the face of this crisis. I believe from the bottom of my soul that God has called us to act counterintuitively in the face of crisis. In a time when even as a church we might be tempted to tighten up our belt and play everything safe, God has called us to act counterintuitively and to actually step out in faith instead. That's why we're investigating creating a Ferndale campus, an extension campus. Does that make sense financially right now? Absolutely not. Does that make sense for us to create more work when we're already short-staffed? Absolutely not. But does it make sense to expand an opportunity so that people in that community can hear the life-saving, life-giving name of Jesus? Yes, it does. I believe he's not only called us to act counterintuitively, I believe that God has called us to extravagant generosity in the face of deep personal need. Let me show you an example of how we're trying to do this. We actually try to practice what we preach around here. At least we try. Christ the King has a food bank ministry. We don't talk about it very often. But every week we give away food to hundreds of people. Tracy Whitehead and her team of volunteer heroes, they faithfully serve and they create relationships with people who are being hit the hardest by the economy that we're in. We just made a decision to expand our food bank. We now use the entire back portion of that building. We acted counterintuitively because instead of a time when we could have kept everything the way it was and played it safe, we believed that God was calling us to expand our reach into people that were hurting. See, Tracy had a dream where people could come and experience the tangible, warm, loving touch of Jesus Christ. 
She saw the truth of this principle that when God's people obey and minister to the least of these, that God will always provide. And I'm going to tell you something about Tracy. She's very, very persuasive. It wasn't a moment of, I think we need to do this. It's we have to do this. Christ the King, I need you to know something. In that expanded food bank area where we give away food to hundreds of people every single week, there's a second floor right now, all storage area, and it's completely and totally empty. And I believe in the face of great crisis that God has called his people to sacrifice, to step out. I believe every single one of us is supposed to share a portion of what God's already blessed us with so that somebody else can eat. I went into my pantry yesterday. There were four cans of garbanzo beans. I don't even like garbanzo beans. I don't think I've tasted garbanzo beans. So why are they in my pantry when they could be feeding somebody else? I am challenging us as a church to step beyond our limited tiny scope and to make it our calling and our passion to believe that no child should go to bed hungry in Whatcom County if the people of God have anything to say about it. That's our calling. You know, the widow sees what she has and instead of naturally keeping, she chooses to faithfully give and God provides for her. Do you see the miracle over and over and over and over again? Now, just in case your brain wants to run somewhere where it shouldn't, let me clarify the theology we have here at Christ the King. We don't give to get around here. We give to give. We give to develop an ever-deepening trust in God. And as often happens right after a miracle, there comes a crisis of faith. 1 Kings 17, verse 17, the Bible says, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. And he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What have you against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took her, took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord. O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house and he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. You know what I love about the end of this story? The God guy has a crisis. I love that because it gives me permission to have a meltdown every once in a while. I want us to remember something. God had been providing for Elijah for years. But Elijah kept forgetting that. Don't we do that? I mean, when everything's just fine and dandy, we come and praise Jesus. Thank you, God. Oh, great is your faithfulness every morning. And then we have one moment of deep need. It's like, where'd you go, God? Why did you leave me hanging? Why did you abandon me? I've got nothing. Wah, 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 right? 
Listen to the crisis again. Elijah says, oh Lord my God, have you brought tragedy on this widow by causing her son to die? I mean, can you hear the question behind the question? The prophet saying, God, you saved him from starving and now he's going to die from the flu? Are you kidding me? What makes it harder is the widow kind of joins in. She jumps on the dog pile. She says, what have you against me, man of God? And suddenly Elijah, the guy who's supposed to have it all together, he has a crisis. I had a crisis yesterday. Because I stood by Kyle's bedside when he went home to be with Jesus. And I struggled and I was angry at Elijah because he got a yes to his prayer and I got a no to mine. And when I drove home yesterday, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. God and I had very strong words. I learned something. I would rather walk with God when the answer is no than without God when the answer is no. Elijah's in crisis. Where does he turn? He turns to God. If you're in trouble, where should you turn? To God. You see, with every crisis in our life, we've got a choice. We can align ourselves with God as our incredible ally, or we can turn him into a very convenient enemy. Christ the King, here's the question. In your life, right now, right this second, who is God? Is he an ally or is he an enemy? If you struggle with the fact that your pastor has meltdowns every once in a while, you might be in the wrong church. Because this is about as real as I can get. I didn't want to come here this weekend. I wanted to go home yesterday and hug my kids and ask God to forgive me for every moment that I have taken them for granted. But when we're weak, God says we're strong. You know, I learned an interesting note. I learned that Elijah's name means, my God is Jehovah. Every time Elijah says his name, he's reminding people of whose team he's on. He's making a declaration. He's saying, I'm not on my own team. I'm not on Wall Street's team. I'm not on Bale's team, the JV football team, or even the Lakers. I have declared my side. I play on the side of Jesus. Even in the middle of a crisis, Elijah digs in deeply with the God who's always been faithful and has lived up to his name. And as we close this morning in this time of deep crisis and dependence, we find God revealed in his names. My prayer is that as you scribe these out in your outline, that you would allow them to soak into your heart and saturate your brain. Because in the midst of deep pain, God reveals himself as Jehovah Rophi, the Lord who heals some cynics might say, yeah, but he didn't heal yesterday. My friends, make no mistake. 
God did not heal on my terms or, more, or my timeline, but Kyle today is more whole than any single human being in this room. Completely whole. In the midst of crisis, God reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. That's a promise. In the midst of unbelievable chaos, God reveals himself as Jehovah Shalom. The Lord our peace. And he says no matter what happens around you, that a peace that passes all of your understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus if you run to him instead of away. In the midst of everything that's going on, God reveals himself as Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. He's here meeting needs. He's in Africa meeting needs. He's in the Ukraine meeting needs. He's in South Bellingham touching people, holding, drawing, pulling them towards himself. God reveals himself as Jehovah Aslamai, the Lord my strength. And when you can't take another step forward, God allows himself to stand in front so that you can walk behind him in his strength. He reveals himself as Jehovah Ganon, the Lord, our defense. When we feel weak and we're staring at the chinks of the armor instead of the armor itself, God promises that he will be our defender. Now I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, okay, I heard the sharing part. I'm putting two and two together. And you're asking yourself, are you going to ask us for money? Some of you are thinking, do you have the audacity like Elijah to show up in the midst of this and ask for a cut? No. I'm here to ask you a question. Are you weathering this storm your way or God's way? You know what I love about this economic downturn? I love the fact that people are turning to God. People are turning to God because the God of money has been cracked and has fallen off of its throne in this country. I heard a guy say it last week out loud in a restaurant. God help us. That's a good prayer. He didn't have any idea he was praying and I have absolutely no idea what kind of response God Jehovah has sent to that particular person at that particular time, but he's on the right track. He's actually moving in the right direction. You know, we're all here this morning. We all think we have just a little. God says we have way more than we think if we'll offer it to him. We are tempted to cling tightly to the God of money because we think somehow it's going to bring us security. My friends, the God of money is dead. We've seen it. And in the middle of this challenge, we have an opportunity, just like the widow. She thought she didn't have it to share. But in sharing, she allowed God to fulfill a promise. We think we can't share. God says, if you do, he will provide. I didn't say it. He did. Will you trust him? 
Would you pray with me this morning as we close? Father God, thank you for helping me preach this morning with a broken heart. Thank you that when we're weak, you say we're at our best. Because we're not trusting in ourselves anymore. We're just letting you take over. God, thank you for a very ancient single mom with a kid who lived out deeply what it meant to obey as you provided. God, thousands of years later, would you teach us to have faith like her? God, would you allow us to give back to you? And Lord, I don't know what we're supposed to give this week. For some, it might be time. For other, it might be talent. For other, it might be treasure. God, I believe you're calling all of us to give all three. Lord, may we not be stuck in the fear of what's happening around us, but may God's people be defined by the high cost of dependence. God, I pray for those who may be here this morning who don't know Jesus as personal Savior. God, I pray that in this moment of crisis that swirls around them, that they would know that there is a God enthroned in the heavens who loved them desperately, who was willing to pay the highest price so that they could know you. God, I pray that even in this moment, they will open their heart and pray that they would give their life to you, that they would accept you as Lord and Savior, that they would receive forgiveness of sins and exchange their present life for a life that promises eternity. God, I pray that they would know that we don't want anything from them, but that we want Jesus for them. God, I pray for God's people, Lord, in the midst of this time when we're tempted to grab hold of everything, Lord, would you help us to pry our fingers away and to offer it back to you because it's all yours anyway. God, may you stretch us in this time. And may we know with a knowing that you truly are Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. We love you today. Thank you for the beautiful words of Sam at the beginning of service. God, thank you for the discipline of worship. May you hear our voices raised in praise to our great God, Jehovah. And we pray these things in your precious Son's name. The transforming name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen.